Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello and welcome to the Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson and with me as always, my friend and co-host, Chris Boroff. Screw you, Harold. <laughs> okay, and joining me as well, my other friend and co-host, Zach Powers. Uh, the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinochle in your snow. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, as uh, we are wrapping up our spooky story theme, uh, what you will find here on the movie trap is that uh, we typically get a one of the hosts you just met picks a theme, and then we all watch a movie based off that theme. Uh, and then once we've watched all three movies, whoever movie we didn't vote on which one was our favorite and whoever wins usually gets to pick the next theme but that is not happening this time uh because we this theme was chosen by a completely random role and we are doing movies that are based in or around halloween and whoever wins the vote which is happening today gets to pick a bonus movie uh before we get back into it and we are also going to be announcing at the tail end of this our christmas episode which should be, which should be our next one after this probably yeah, yeah that's, that's what we, we we're what we're thinking. Um, and then we'll also get Zach's bonus movie, and then we will uh, get on to regular business with the movies that have been previously adapted by authors of Zach's picks with Shawshank Redemption. That is what's on the docket later on. But today we've got an action-packed, filled episode filled with votes and movies and more movies. So before we get on to what scare we're doing today, which is um, 2019's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark to wrap up our Halloween-themed uh, uh basically show here uh so at the end of this we will vote and then whoever wins will get to pick the next uh, the bonus movie so uh with that in mind we've got points uh so chris boroff you have 11 points at this point for final voting with two bonus points to give out uh i have 11 points for final voting with no more bonus points to give out and zach you have two bonus points to give out with 13 points for final voting zach as always nailing it with the points um, okay, so Zach, uh, go ahead and tell us what we are dealing with with 2019 Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark of Chris Boroff's pick. Um, I should mention, yeah, this is Chris Boroff's pick. We previously did Trick or Treat, and then we before that we did Monster House. So here we are with Scary Stories in the Dark, Chris Boroff's pick. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a 2019 horror children's-ish film directed by Andre Orvidal. Or Oridal, Ovridal, he's a Swedish or something, so I don't know. Uh, it's based on the uh, compilation of uh, children's stories of the same name by Alvin Schwartz, though it is worth noting that um, the most important uh, attribute lended to this movie is perhaps not the stories themselves, but the illustrations from the original editions by Stephen Gamel. If, if you know them, you know them. Uh, they don't they made a new version a few years ago that took out all the illustrations, and it's like, what? What are you? What are you? What are you doing? Uh, those illustrations scared many children and are beloved by many. Um, uh, the screenplay was uh, <clears throat> directed by adapted by somebody named the Hodgman Brothers, and uh, Guillermo del Toro served as producer. We've got a few stars in here: Zoe Coletti, who's a young person. Michael Garza, who's a young person, and a few other young persons, as well as Dean Norris. Hank from um, Breaking Bad. <laughs> yes, Hank from Breaking Bad. The movie takes place in 1968. Vietnam is a raging. LBJ is president, uh, etc. Um, the election is coming up. I think, uh, is this the one? I think Nixon, Nixon might have won. Wins. Yeah, Nixon's on the Around verge. the corner, yep. Yep, the specter of Nixon haunts every frame of the film. Um, it's Halloween. Um, uh, and uh, these uh, a group of kids are living in the Pennsylvania in a little teeny tiny small Halloween town, as these Halloween movies tend to take place in, you know, Mideast, Midwest, sleepy town. That's where a Halloween movie's got to take place. Uh, three friends named Stella, Augie, and Chuck uh, are... Uh, Still in the Halloween spirit, getting a little old for it, all that stuff, but, you know, still doing their best. But uh, at the same time, they're being uh, tortured by local town bully Tommy Milner. Um, 
after uh, deciding to get a little revenge on Tommy on Halloween night and throwing some eggs at his car, not realizing the window was open. And uh, uh, is it Augie's sister, Ruth? Um, yeah. is also on a it's date Chuck, with him. Yeah. Chuck's sister. Chuck's I think sister. It's Chuck's is, sister. Yeah. Chuck's sister is in there on a date with Tommy. Uh, Tommy uh, goes what uh, I sometimes call Stephen King bully, which is when you have a small town bully who is fully willing to commit murder um, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, chases them down. Um, he eventually tracks them to a local drive in movie theater where they jump in the car of uh, a young drifter named Roman Morales, uh, who sort of stands up to the bully and says, we're in a public place. You can't do shit to me. All the people and the the people who own the uh, drive-in are like, you got to get back to your car and get out. And they are temporarily safe. Um, As it is Halloween night, the spookiest of nights, they decide to go to the local haunted house, which belonged to uh, a family named the Bellows, a wealthy family and has been long since abandoned. Because many years ago, many of the children of the town started to die. And it is widely believed that the daughter, Sarah Bellows, was in fact a witch who uh, was killing the children via witchy witchcraft ways uh, before uh, the heat got too much and she committed suicide. So they head inside and uh, begin to see spooky stuff. They see the rooms look new and they see a woman sitting on the bed. And they find a spooky book. Um, but before they can investigate too, too long, uh, Tommy uh, finds them and uh, locks them inside um, along with the sister. Um, they manage to eventually escape, though uh, uh, Ramon's car is trashed with racial slurs and the like. Um but they do eventually manage to escape the spooky house uh, seemingly unscathed. Um, Stella returns home and finds that uh, uh, when she flips through the book, suddenly a new story has appeared on a previously blank page called Harold uh, about an evil scarecrow. Um, Meanwhile, uh, at Tommy's home, uh, Tommy returns home uh, drunk, and his angry mother uh, says that he needs to deliver the milk to the neighbors because he had uh, not done it before earlier in the night. Um, Tommy uh, reluctantly, angrily proceeds to cross through the cornfield, kicking uh, the family scarecrow, who he makes a point of always kicking, named Harold. Um, But soon the scarecrow comes to life and begins to stalk him before stabbing him uh, with a pitchfork Um, But instead of bleeding, Tommy begins to shoot hay out of his mouth and wounds and uh, starts to transform. Tommy is reported missing. uh, And after hearing this, uh, the kids, uh, specifically Stella and Ramon, go to investigate because, you know, Tommy had been the name of the character in the story she saw appear last night. And they find Harold. But now he's wearing Tommy's jacket. And Stella believes that Tommy has been transformed into the grotesque scarecrow Harold. Uh, shortly thereafter, um, they witness as the book begins to write a new story on the fly called The Big Toe, being written in seemingly in blood as they watch. Um, the main character... Uh, in this story is Augie. So they desperately reach out to call Augie, who is home alone, his mother uh, looking for something to eat. Um, He says to his mom that he'll eat the stew. And she's like, I didn't make any stew. And he's like, well, someone made stew. So he's going to eat the mystery stew um, while his friends try to reach him on their radio because they're a bunch of quirky kids who have a, you know, a group of quirky kid radio transmissions. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, Walkie talkies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and uh Augie's like ah you're just uh, trying to spook me up uh there ain't no such thing as books writing themselves um but they uh, see that the Augie has some big boroff energy throughout this entire thing i just want to say that <laughs> yeah like a pretentious clown is his costume he's not, not a clown <laughs> Perot, yeah. <he's> totally different <laughs> uh yeah so they um the, the story is about 
someone who makes a big toe into a stew, and then a corpse comes searching for the missing toe. And Augie starts to eat the stew, and sure enough, a big old toe's in there. And uh, he soon hears a call, who's got my big toe? Uh, after a short uh, a bit of stalking and running around the house, he is dragged under the bed by a, you know, disfigured corpse. Uh, never to be seen again. Um, the remaining friends now believing that this is all very much real. Attempt to destroy the book. No avail. Can't destroy curse books. Rule number one. Uh, so they start to uh, look into more information about old Sarah. Meanwhile, Ruth has had a terrible zit pop out over the past couple days. Though uh, she believes it to be a spider bite. Um, and indeed, uh, in the shortly thereafter, in the following day, uh, a new story begins to appear called The Red Spot. And Ruth, as her zit goes monstrously large uh, at school, hides in the bathroom um, when her zit explodes and hundreds of spiders come out because the spider laid a fucking egg in her face. And uh, uh, they manage to fight off the spiders and rescue Ruth, though she's uh, obviously very scarred by the experience. Um, but it proves that they can indeed save people if they if they, uh, they try. Um, uh, they follow the, the leads to uh, an elderly woman um, all the while, uh, Chuck talking about a recurring dream he has about a, uh, a large pale woman, uh, chasing him down a red hallway. But they meet, uh, an elderly woman named Lulu, uh, Baptiste, who, uh, is all old, mysterious, and barely talks, um, but manages to relate to them the fact that Sarah actually was hospitalized at some point, uh, in the nearby hospital in the mental ward, um, by her brother, Dr. Bellows. Um, and, you know, that there's uh, all kinds of bad stuff around uh, Sarah Bellows and the Bellows family, and it's supernatural and spooky. Um, so naturally, they head to the hospital to try and get any records of her hospitalization um, and find a uh, recording. Um they're heading to in the place called the Red Room, which stands for something. It's like R-E-D something. But uh, Chuck is like, I ain't going in there. My dream happens in a red place. So he goes to a different place. The rest of them find a recording of Cerebellos getting electroshock therapy from her brother, who uh, is clearly trying to get her to admit to killing all the kids. Um, but she, between electroshock sessions, is like, no, it's the mercury from uh, our mill. That's, that's killing all the kids. And he's like, no, that's a lie. Electroshock therapy, I tell you, admit it. And uh, so now they know the murderous truth that uh, Sarah was a victim, indeed, in all of this. Meanwhile, Chuck, uh, wandering the halls of this hospital, comes to a red hallway where uh, soon his dream begins to come to life. He sees a large, pale woman in the distance uh, he begins to run, but soon she is around every conceivable corner, um, and he is trapped eventually between two of the pale ladies, uh, and he is absorbed into one of them before she disappears. Um, at this point, uh, Stella and Ramon, unable to save Chuck, are arrested by the police chief, um, who is also looking for Ramon because he's a draft dodger. Um... Uh, because his brother enlisted and died horribly in Vietnam. Um, so, uh, soon Ramon realizes uh, from a weird chant in the police station that the next monster will be the Jangly Man, a creature that throws its pieces down the chimney before assembling itself and attacking you. Uh, it's a story he knows from his childhood. Uh, the Jangly Man does indeed appear. Uh, unaffected by the sheriff's bullets, he kills him. Um, before uh, the two kids manage to escape and run to the Bellows house uh, for answers. Uh, Stella uh, is sent back in time as Ramon has to contend with the jangly man. Um, Sarah eventually manages to get through to Stella uh, and promises her that if she lets them go, 
she will uh, write down Sarah's real story and spread it. Uh, she will tell the truth of what happened and uh, begins to write the story in blood in the book of what really happened to Sarah Bellows. And the monsters vanish. It seems like they have make, struck a deal. Uh, Sarah manages to get the story into the papers. And uh, Ramon decides he's got to accept his enlistment and uh, ships out to, to Vietnam. Um, uh, uh, sharing an emotional goodbye with Stella. Um, and at the end, Ruth recovered. Uh, Stella and Ruth resolve to find a way to save Chuck and Augie. And so the story ends until the sequel, which has been announced. Yeah, apparently. Yep. Mm -hmm. Apparently they're doing another one. Um, yeah, they were going to do one and it got sort of put on hold because of COVID. It was COVID. supposed to happen during COVID. Uh, I don't know if they're going to actually do a sequel now, just because all these kids are older. <laughs> they do not look like children yep. anymore. That's true. Yeah, um, uh, I don't know if there's any been been news in recent times. Uh, they did uh, announce the sequel was in development in April of 2020 after lockdown had begun. But who knows? They perhaps didn't expect lockdown to go on as long as it did. We shall see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I mean, like, I guess I'll, we kind of talked about it last episode. But do you guys have remember these books when you were kids? The scary story, because like Zach yeah. said, I. I, I think the strongest memory I have is of those covers, really. That's I think that's what that brought me to the dance is why I borrowed it from the library and said, Mom, these look cool. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, I, that's that pretty much what drew me to them. And, I don't know, they were probably in, like, scholastic stuff, you know, that kind of, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were the edgiest thing I was reading at that time because mm -hmm. I was, you know, it was, like, prior to everyone getting into, like, Goosebumps and stuff like that that I actually never sure. really got into Goosebumps. But it was that sort of window into it. Most of the stories, when you read them now, are very, very simple. They're very short. They're mm. they're like collected folk tales. Yeah. Uh, Schwartz didn't originally create almost any of them, or possibly none of them. They're just folk tales. He tracked down. He's he's like a folklorist. He's not a writer by trade, and so he tracks down these stories from uh, some of them from different cultures um, and from different times and just collected them together basically and wrote them very simply and straightforwardly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of how I understood it too, is that they are kind of all based off of like these kind of like old fairy tales sort of stuff, um, which, you know, it kind of shows um, just of how simple they are. They're all pretty basic. Like, you take something from a corpse and the corpse comes back you know it's yeah well i mean some of pretty, them were based easy. off uh like urban folk tales like they had a couple scarier ones that were urban folk tales they didn't actually like adapt in this one but um the one that stuck out that stood out to me that i think everybody remembers that they did a cover of in this was the spider bite in the face thing like almost everybody i know that read those stories remembers the spider in the face thing because a lot of people have freaky fears of spiders and most children at that age are dealing with pimples so it's sort of a universal dread horror that actually like really directly would hit the audience of the kids reading that yeah i think the big toe one actually stuck stuck with me um hmm. oh yeah because the the idea was that they find this toe in like a field or whatever and then they decide you know what'll be good put a stew in it you know like let's make a stew out of the toe uh that i never understood that and i still don't um like well that that's what you do right you see a toe you, hell, yeah. you got a stew going must, I have must a be like during the ukrainian uh, famine or some shit to, you know? maybe <laughs> it it seems like it this... might be based off like a different story like a, a rough transliteration of it because there's another story called blood on satan's claw i think is the film adaptation but it's about finding a weird foot in a field digging it up bringing it back and then unleashing a curse on everyone in the community like the kids uh, in the story start going wild and doing all sorts of bad things well anyway, I, back. yeah uh well just still talking about the book yeah I, one of the ones that uh, does stick out to, like most of them are pretty same as things go um, but, uh, uh, you know, 
there's and then like there's stories you'll hear a lot like the room for one more on the elevator story if you've ever mm-hmm. heard that but also uh the the herald story sticks out for me a little bit uh in part because i do think it's a very good uh uh you know gamble's art is good on that one but it is also one of the more vicious ones because one of the people who abuses Harold is literally skinned and his skin is hung out to dry in the sun. Mm-hmm. Like occasionally they got a little, uh, a little grotesque. A lot mm, of them were yeah. very, very, very childish and especially the, the comedy ones, which are, are absolutely ridiculous. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- but, I think uh, yeah. that one, I remember that one fondly. Um, the only other one I remember was the one where it's the guy in the middle where it was like a lady who was on a subway car or something and these three dudes come on and it seems like the guy in the middle is super drunk and the guy in the middle just keeps staring at the lady and she's like looking down trying to ignore this person who keeps staring at her and then one guy gets up and leaves and says take it easy harry and then a couple more stops the other guy gets up and leaves and says take it easy harry or whatever and then it's just this lady and the drunk guy who's staring at her and at the next stop, there's like a jostle. And what happens is the guy falls forward and you find out that he, he was dead the whole time. Like he'd been shot and they were just propping up this dead guy between them the whole time. So I just remember that one being a good like gotcha twist at the end where it wasn't that he was staring at the lady. It's that he was dead staring at the lady the whole time. Um, I don't know. I always love that one because it took the premise and then went one step beyond what you were expecting. And I was like, okay, this is a good short story. Sure, which is almost the the opposite of what the other children's book did immediately after with the goosebumps, where it's like it ends a chapter thinking that something spooky is going to happen, and then you're just like, oh, it was my dog licking my toe or something, you know? It's, <laughs> it's, that's yeah. how every chapter of R.L. Stein's Goosebumps <clears throat> ends. It's just it ends up being like something totally innocuous. Um, but I, I I was gotta say because like when when you proposed this movie, Borf, I was like, well, it's got to be an anthology then, like it because all of these mm-hmm. stories don't really connect at all. Um, so I was really surprised that they they really didn't go that route i mean they they Mm. they stuck to like some sort of a narrative and 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 i i didn't expect that i i honestly thought that we were just gonna like be like the midnight society or whatever and just like sit around telling ghost stories because that's what the name of the fucking movie is it's the scary stories to tell in the dark so i thought that that's what it was going to be and it it isn't not not saying it's a good or bad thing i'm just saying it was an interesting choice to kind of not make it an anthology and uh, it is worth noting that all three of our picks feature kids on Halloween going to check out a haunted place. Very true. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, yeah, uh, I, 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 yeah, I always liked this one. It sort of surprised me because I expected this one was going to be real crap when I went to it because I was expecting a similar thing to what you guys are thinking. But then I was like, okay, Del, Tormo, Del Toro producing... It's got this, uh, the guy who did Troll Hunters directing it, maybe. Something might be there. And then I went and saw it. Mm. Um, I liked the um, fact that they went extra hard with the story. Like, they really were like, okay, we're going to actually try to tell a story and try to tell something spooky. And it has different levels of success or not success. But it just hit me as interesting that this movie was a period piece about a time period that I don't really think of very much, like the 60s. And it was dealing with racism and all these things that were kind of boomer concerns, if I'm not yeah. saying that weirdly. But it just sort of uh. hit me as interesting. I was, I was really kind of refreshed by the fact that it wasn't exactly uh, just somebody in the 90s or somebody in the 80s or something like that. I liked that they had picked an unusual location to set the story. Why? I, I kind of wanted to ask you that, like what did you guys think of it taking place in 1968 with the backdrop of Vietnam? And, and as, as Zach said, the, the shroud of Nixon is, is coming. Um, what, what did you, cause I, 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 I sort of got to the point in my life with movies when, when they do this, when they kind of transpose it to another place in time that I, I almost wish there was a reason for it. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. And I, I, I almost I, I don't really understand why they chose to do it in 1968 other than the, the draft dodging, you know, sea story with Ramon. Um, other than that, I, I didn't really see why they would have it take place in 1968. Uh, I can think of a, so off the cuff, a few of the reasons I can think. Yeah. And obviously like there's aesthetic reasons. Okay. There's, uh, um, it avoids the problem of internet and cell phones, which is always a thing for whole <laughs> And um, 
I think they wanted to... So they had this plot. I think maybe they had this thing with Ramon and this racist bully and the Vietnam War. And I don't think they wanted to make it contemporary because I don't think they wanted to feel too political. Because I could see yeah. like easily Ramon being an illegal immigrant or something like that and the bully being racist. But then I think people would be they'd get like Fox News being like another liberal agenda movie making yeah. fun of the MAGA crowd. All that I, bullshit. I was thinking that same thing because it um, like when I was watching it it came out during Trump being president so yeah. I kind of was like you know uh, with horror films and horror stories usually they're a way to talk about something that you're uncomfortable talking about um, and usually there's something not quite as direct as this like it'll usually be like you know a fear of I don't know fear of commitment and you're seeing like alien or something it's a bad that's not a real theory I'm just saying like people have those reasons <laughs> but in the idea with this is you know people were obviously freaked out by Trump like that was an ever-present like fear and we were afraid we we're gonna end up in a war and the whole thing so I think it played more for me in that capacity because it and was I guess uh, that makes sense with like Nixon signs yeah. and things like that it did feel like good to just be like okay there was a really bad president before maybe we'll make it through okay so there was that for me uh, the whole time i was like oh my god um so it was effective for me in that way i don't know if it played well for you guys or if you guys even read it that way but i mean i i didn't i didn't mind it i just i i sort of didn't quite understand why they would choose it because like if you wanted to do so the nick you could just have it take place in 1972 or even before that you know like or uh, you know, if uh, you wanted to go full blown like Stephen King, have it take place in the early sixties, late fifties kind of thing with you know like so like the internet thing, I kind of buy. But then you could also have it take place in the nineties, you know, like before the internet was really a thing. Um, so I, I don't know. I, and and then to say that they wanted to avoid, I, I mean, I guess you know, draft dodging isn't the political hot topic that it is today. But I mean, back then to say that, you know, you were a draft dodger was almost a political statement. I mean, like you were that's that's still talking about, yeah. you know, kind of heinous politics. Yeah, and stuff. Well, so, I think but it could comment like 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 Chris said, I'll, I'll give the Chris a point for this Richard Nixon comparison. Even uh, like I think it's a way to talk about things that are relevant today without just saying, well, Trump, it's 2016 and Trump is coming and these people are racist now. But like, you know, they just could make that comparison to... I also think the other reason they might have elected to do this is because when you read scary stories to tell in the dark, right? When they take place, always for me as a kid was, well, when do they take place? They take place in the past. Maybe it was 150 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago, but it was like the past and so okay. they might have wanted to retain that aspect of the of the short stories of like when was this it's just a general sense of not now it, right it was a general sense yeah. of some years back some decades back i mean it was yeah. uh, the original I, book was published in 1981 so that would be uh pretty good i think that's about 20 years usually for uh uh, the cycles of nostalgia. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's something there, but maybe it was a, yeah, maybe it's nostalgia because it's clearly more nostalgia for like Del Toro and stuff, you know, like it's, it's more nostalgic because more than the audience of the books who read the books in the eighties, like their nostalgia is the eighties and the nineties, not 1960s. That's a, but to Zach's point, and I think if I had any points to give, I would probably give him one because I think that's an actually a pretty good point. Having it removed in, a part of the past that most of millennial generation who this movie is very much catered to that's such a mythological time that we, we you know we we have no real context so keeping it removed kind of keeps that sort of past for folklorness kind of open and it's in the past and it could have mm -hmm. like you said you know when 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 did the sarah bellows thing happen who gives a shit it, 18 who cares like yeah. it's it it matters that it just these are things that happened a long time ago. So in a way, I guess that makes sense. I just saying it just it, it it didn't seem like other than the 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 Vietnam stuff. And I I think Borf's probably right that the the 
it was more of a reflection of the contemporary political anxieties that were going on in 2019. And there were quite a few. Um, so I, I, I guess I can kind of see, I just thought it was an interesting choice to have it take place in 1968. I sort of thought they just needed, that's the easiest way to get, as Zach said, the Stephen King kind of bully, you know, who is just mm-hmm. literally willing to bash your head in. And that's what he's going to do. Um, so I mean, yeah. it also kind of, it helps them out with the anachronisms that usually come up too. Um, True. Because you're going back one stage further. Like I don't, we mentioned it briefly, but if you, have you, either of you seen the Midnight Club? I have. Some of it. Okay. Um, the internet didn't work that way at the time period <laughs> that show happens. Like everyone jumping on like a computer that didn't have a network card or internet access and just typey typey typey. My Apple II is just surfing the web. It's like, no, no, your Apple II would have a hard right. time running, uh, right. I want to say, uh, uh, that Oregon Trail. Oregon, Oregon Trail, Trail yeah. was yeah. what you did, yeah. not mm-hmm. the internet. So stuff like that. Math you know, and it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really get in the way of enjoying it, but it's one of those things that I realize I'm now an old man, so I'm seeing technology and going, that isn't how it works as See, and, and, stuff from my own childhood. To, to bring up... <laughs> And, and I kind of, uh, beyond the anachronisms, like uh, that's sort of what kind of did bother me with, with the Midnight Society, the, the, even though like the books take place in the 90s. I don't understand why they had to. Uh, it, it's not like it added or took away anything other than just the music choices that I haven't heard in 20 years. Um, you know, and, and to this film's credit, it doesn't do that. It doesn't just randomly throw in like random 60s songs in 1968. And you could find some good ones. That's a fucking banger year for music in 1968. Um, mm-hmm. So like, it, they they didn't awash you with that. It just that it seems like to me they they make these movies take place in the time period just because they like the music or the 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 aesthetics of it, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, it just seems like if you're going it, if it's going to take place in the past, I would rather there be some sort of justification for it and not just have it just for the music cue's sake. Um, yeah. And and this film doesn't do that. I just felt it was. But you guys kind of explained it to me, so I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on that. Um, so one of the things that I was impressed with this movie um, was that most of the monsters appear to be more practical effects. Um, and that probably was a, a del Toro touch, if I had to guess. Um, so I, I was pretty impressed with how they looked because like even the jangly man was actually like a contortionist who's in like this kind of bodysuit who can do all these crazy sort of moves with their body. Um, and I thought that was pretty impressive. And the pale ladies... Uh, I, I don't remember the story that much, but I remember those drawings. Um, so that that stuck out, and I was impressed that they, they did it with practical effects. And in 2019, that ain't bad, you know? I, I think that yeah. the pale lady, I, I want to say that wasn't the story with her. Like, there was no, like... No, it's a different story of some, yeah. some other story. Um, okay. Yeah, that... But I that remember that drawing, of, though. I mean, that... Yeah, that's one of the things. Like, they adapt the art very well. Like the the art hmm. and making the two D characters look uh, believable as three D was fascinating. Like the me donty donty Walker guy. Like I remember hmm. the head, the that whole character design, if I remember correctly, was just a head in a in a uh, fireplace. Right. And that was the entire drawing. So everything else mm-hmm. was stuff they just came up with. Um. I mean, I just loved all the art in those. It was like it was it was the darkest thing that you were allowed to have as a kid that your parents wouldn't take away from you. At least in my experience, being like a nine-year-old reading that. Sure. Yeah, I, my parents were just happy that I was reading it all. They they didn't really care. <laughs> I mean, I I remember we'd, we'd get in trouble because we'd have to bring books to school, and it would be basically just reprints of universal monster movies from like the you know like the blob and all that other shit was in there um so i'd bring that and i me and richard would get in trouble my mom was to her credit was like what do you care they're reading what difference does it make um (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah i I mean i definitely think that the the creature design is pretty strong on this they do a good job of bringing those gamels pictures to life as much as possible because they are often very surrealist there's like a lot of like weird roots and vines that like crawl off the page in a way that you almost can't do in real life but i do think they do a pretty strong job of of putting together these practical effects and they're appreciated and it is especially because this was almost i think it was the same year they revamped the books to cut the gamel pictures 
mm. to be like what a crime, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, think, I mean, I think they've gone back. Um, okay, good, because I'm sure like the outrage yeah. behind that would be like, well, what are you doing? Gamble, Gamble had kind of an interesting style that like AIs tend to be able to trick this a lot now, uh, the different stable diffusion and things like that. I noticed that a lot of times he would have a lot of very wispy details at the edge of the image, that the vines you're talking about. But then whenever it was a face, it would be hyper clear line work. So it was like the face would pop out of the page a little bit in this sea of like a background noise. And it just had that sense of like the uncanny valley. Like there was just something off with the faces and the proportions, not because the artist wasn't good at what he was doing, but because the artist was really good at what he was doing. And it was creepy. I love that artwork. It's, it's so that, that to me, like when you watch like, you know, like even the original like Hellraiser and stuff, um, when you have something that is seemingly normal surrounded by the abnormal, it adds such a feeling of off balance that it's hard to match that as far as creating dread. Um, and, and, and it's, it's hard to do in movies, you know, Del Toro's pretty good at it, you know, like even though he doesn't do straight horror most of the time, like some of his, like, I think Pan's Labyrinth is more or less a, a fairy tale, but it's got some spooky stuff in it, but his creature design is something kind of, you know, different. And he, you could, you, he's not afraid of it. He, he loves like even, even Hellboy, um, you know, he, he's, he stayed true to the art of, of Magolas and stuff like that, but he's able to, I, I think we talked about this a long time ago during the film concussion days when we did uh, devil's backbone, that what he's so good at is making reality seem not real. And then when you add this kind of supernatural stuff to it, it, it flows seamlessly, but still creates this sense that uh, it should not be. But you have this kind of, like you said, with the clear face, because one of the, my clearest uh, covers of this story is the guy with the pipe and the red nose. And it's, you yeah, know, that's the front. That, yeah, that, yep. that, that, that one sticks out to me. And you're right. The face is just kind of clear and white and, you know, kind of not really, but, the, but around it, there's this kind of macabre growth around it. And um, yeah, it, it creates a sense that that's hard to match as far as creating dread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did yeah, you guys uh, think anything was spooky? I, yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, it did the job as far as giving me the, like the, the where's my big toe thing that there's a few of the spooky, spooky, ooky stuff. Um, you know, they, you get to the point with these horror movies, and maybe it's just because we've been watching a lot of them for 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 the season and stuff. Mm-hmm. You get to the point where you know they're coming. And, 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 and eh. this is a PG thirteen movie that's intended for younger audiences, so it's not going to be fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre in here. It's right. like uh, you know, and it was it, it's fine for what it is. They do a decent job. I think it's um, like it's a very the story uh, on the whole, like outside of the mini stories is pretty pretty tried and true pretty basic pretty like you know uh fear street did something similar recently like mm-hmm. last year which is like oh uh you know the the witch is causing all the trouble but the witch is falsely accused kind of thing like and this is the side effect of that like i don't think that was anything groundbreaking i think it was pretty pretty tried pretty pretty straightforward but it was as these things go like fine a fine mm-hmm. rendition of that story like it's not i don't think it was exceptionally great but i think it was okay yeah and i think it 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 yeah it it, it plays by the numbers right like because as you say it's it's meant to try to scare more of the younger side of kids and they're you know when you're you know pushing 40 these jump scares you you pretty much see them coming a mile away you know you're like oh something's coming um mm-hmm. so like it it's it's good and it's effective for that and that's what you kind of have to keep the story kind of pretty basic, you know, like that's, that's sort of like, especially in horror movies. Cause that, that one of the things I thought that was so disappointing about the, the Nia DaCosta's Candyman is that it was so weighted down by this world building and this expository stuff. And even the whole like climax of the movie just kind of fell flat with like the evil villain speech. Um, and, and it kind of takes away from what I think, what I wanted the movie to be. Um, so this movie kind of suffers from that a little bit, but it, 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 because it's all about like this book and, and they're trying to figure out what the deal is with the book and stuff. So uh, it, it, 
for this one, for, for keeping the story moving, because the main story is something that's not part of the source material. It's just kind of weaving its way through this these pylons, basically, that these short stories create, and the main characters kind of weave their way in and out of them. Um, and... And, and and again, unexpected for considering what I thought the source material was going to be. I did not expect to... Uh, I thought this movie was going to be utter shit, really. I thought it was going to be not good at all. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, I, it's okay. And, and given, given that expectation, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought, okay, better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. It seems like it worked harder than I thought it needed to, um, based <laughs> off what it was going to be. Uh, similar... Mm. I, I think I said this to you guys before, obviously different, but uh, Paddington, Paddington didn't need to be awesome, and Paddington 2 didn't need to be five times as awesome as Paddington 1. Like, they could have just drone flowed that thing into theaters and dropped it on us, and it could have been Smurfs, it could have been Alvin and the Chipmunks. No, they went hard. And it would have made up. money, too. It would have made money yeah. either way. Yeah, but it might have made so more good. money, honestly. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's just the thing. It's just like it always hits me as funny when someone takes kind of trite material um, and pushes it further and makes it something that you want to watch again or is you know got more meat on that bone than you would have anticipated. I'm not saying Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a classic horror film. I'm not saying it's it's, the it's, best it's no Paddington. Ever. It's no Paddington. Yeah, that's true. I, no I would say. I, yeah. Yeah, but it's okay. It's it not is bad. okay. Yeah, it's it is you okay. Know. It is not bad. Uh, Shannon and I saw this in the theaters. The Del Toro thing. The fact that I had like a remembrance for this when I was a kid. I think I might have gotten early release tickets, like free screening tickets, before it came out. At that time, before COVID, um, the AV Club was based here in Chicago, and they had these contests all the time for like. Oh, if you like are one of the first people to like comment on this, you know, you can get free tickets and uh, semi regularly at work. I just pop over to the AV club on the day they did that and see if they have tickets. <laughs> and I got a lot. I got a fair number of like free screenings that way. Um, uh, they don't do that anymore because the AV club doesn't exist and it's not centered in Chicago. And most of those people got laid off. But uh, and also so COVID. But well, also uh, theaters yeah. are going under now. They don't give you out free tickets yeah. as much. They're like, oh, Jesus, please just show up. We'll give you free popcorn. Just pay for a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and we both watched it. And we were like, we had the same reaction at the time, which is like, yeah, that was, that was okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Considering like when, when you know how bad it could be, right? Yeah. Like when, when you, you have a pretty good idea that this could go south. We, we did have some aspiration that like because del toro was involved and some of like the the rec the recreation of the images was pretty pretty strong at parts like there's individual visual images like the pale lady in the red room that are strong and a lot of that stuff was in the trailer um so we were like maybe this will be like you know pretty like solid um we were like it could be in like uh the good pretty good good movie territory instead it's like so b you know b yeah. b ish somewhere in that yeah, range I, I mean i i'd probably give it more closer to the b minus just because b the, minus the, yeah that seems yeah, fair i, I think yeah. that that because yeah and, and again maybe it's because my expectations were so pretty low uh even with del toro behind it because it's not like i love he directed del toro it, does yeah. you know mm -hmm. like um yeah and he just produced it so i mean he just kind of but it, it, he must have, because like I said, those special, the, the practical effects, you know, aren't easy to do these days and, and to keep them all in camera. Um, and, and I know that that's, that's a feat in itself. So at least Del Toro is yeah. the guy to, to do that. Well, he, he's been like known to be kind of obsessed with these books. Um, when his, he has that traveling collection from his, uh, his house, like he has a whole house where he just keeps all of his stuff in it that is like most people normal house well no it's like a separate house just for his collection his wife wow. is like you cannot keep all your crap in this house because he's kind of a hoarder with this fine i'll and build a house <laughs> anyway he built a house and then enough people wanted to go tour or visit it he was like no no one can come in and he just created a road show where it goes out and it's his stuff in a museum you can go see it and there's all sorts of cool stuff in there but he had a lot of the original Stephen Gamble art 
up in there. So it was one of those things where years before I knew this was happening, I was like, oh, he's pretty obsessed with this. And then this came out, and I think I had a similar reaction to what Zach was talking about, where I saw he was involved. And I was like, okay, maybe this will be something kind of serious. Yeah, and you gotta, when, when you've got, fanboy love can be a double-edged sword, right? Like, if you love the source material that much and you're too loyal to it, then you really are just doing like like VHS or another anthology creep show sort of story, right? If you're yeah, if you're or, trying to do what this, or you're is. like uh, threatening to kill an actor on Twitter because they're a black person that was cast in the like remake or something. If you, uh, that's <laughs> one that way of fanboy. <laughs> that's that's, that's happening. That's constantly specific. happening. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking of like uh, what's her? Uh, I think her name is Rosemary or uh, something. Marie Tran. Uh, from oh uh, yes yeah oh, the yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely like and you know every time in a superhero yeah. movie or whatever some character is like brown or black instead of white or like a, a woman leads a movie these people lose their fucking shit and yeah. you know. a black hobbit well i never um yeah. you know that kind of shit um but see that's where but you you do it's not so much i don't they don't need to be fanboy worship to it but there needs to be some sort of reverence behind it, um, you know. But you can't you can't let it be in the driver's seat when you're trying to do something to make it successful. Because I think if you did just try to do like a Tales from the Crypt sort of style of movie and just tell the individual stories, I I, I don't think you know you didn't really need to make it a movie. You know, it didn't really need to be a movie then. Um, this kind of makes it its own movie and its own thing within like the the framework of the scary stories that tell in the dark um, without being completely tethered to it because when you're completely tethered to it then you end up with like you know eight hour Lord of the Rings movies you know like it's it it, it could be taxing or yeah. although those be- movies are extremely beloved <laughs> yeah I know I, I get it I know but the, the, the extended versions are what I'm talking about but at least no I, I mean the extended that. versions but, are more beloved I think than the I, theatrical versions yeah right because we definitely needed more of the third movie um that anyway uh that being said I was impressed with the the Amazon show considering it cost a billion dollars it's not bad um but um I'm giving Zach a point. When, Those when are beloved it's... movies. <laughs> <laughs> I like the extended versions better than the than the theatricals. Full stop. Really? Even the third yeah. one? God, it's just. Uh... I, I the thing is, is I think um, those ones are good. I can't sit through the Hobbits. I've never sat through all the Hobbit movies. I won't. Well, they're bad. Them. Those are terrible. Yeah. The, but the original we could have a whole discussion classics. about again. Guillermo del Toro comes into it, but the production of those Hobbit movies, like. I mean, yeah. man, he was we supposed might go- to make the Hobbit and uh, the studio was like, make it more Jackson like they were very intruding. And he was like, fuck it. I'm out. If you're not going to let me do what I want to do with this. And they dragged Peter Jackson kicking and screaming into those movies. And the studio just did what they wanted to do with them. And they are not good. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Allegedly, cause- Ian McKellen cried on set because there was so much cgi and he was like is this what my job is now yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't start acting to do this right and and considering how much the first three movies were so like on location and they all had like a broader i mean they basically lived that movie for like five years um all three because they shot them all at once um yeah and that's why you know like i said when you're adapting a source material uh, like the thing about Lord of the Rings. I mean, that's a meaty shit to get into. And you could, you, like, they made the whole Amazon show basically just the appendices of those fucking books. Um, so you can go, it, it just seems like to me with a story like this, with this source material, that it's so disjointed and just basically Grimm's fairy tales. Um, you, you can't really make that into a narrative unless you want to do it like, you know, like an anthology TV show like Del Toro's currently doing. Um, you could do it that way. But if it sounded like they wanted to make this into an actual movie and it sounded like the original point was to do like an anthology sort of story. And Del Toro was the one who said, no, 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 we need to get kids into it. And they're not going to sit through little fucking vignettes. They, they, they need to follow something, preferably other children. And I, I, I thought 
pretty bold choice, whether it was successful or not. I think, you know, mixed results, but a uh, bold choice. And I, 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 I admire bold choices for, for doing something like this. So I'll, I'll, I got to hand it to Del Toro. He didn't lean into the punch uh, that clearly this book's, the book set him up to lean into. So good job. Yeah. That being said, I'll never watch the extended version of Return of the King ever again. That was fucking way too long. <laughs> Well, I think we might have actually put a cork on this, guys. We've talked about yeah. all the things on it. Well, let me, wanna... let, let me, real quick before, what, what do you guys think of, like, a sequel? I mean, like, do, since this is apparent, we kind of touched it at the beginning. Like, I'm kind of thinking, why? Maybe don't I, do a sequel? Like, They could probably why? make it. They, I could see them, in theory, making it about as strong as this movie is, if they did it well. Yeah. I mean, if they like, set it in the 70s, like, that's, I think it would be more That would interesting. be interesting. They that would be deal, interesting. They should deal with the kid when he comes back from Nam. Like, they should they should straight up get nice. into PTSD and some intense, nice. like, just things that are way more intense and way more adult than should be <laughs> applied to this story. Because I can't imagine. And they can make it a parallel with the kids they yeah. pull back from the Nightmare Realm who also have PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, spoiler warning, Augie, uh, a, a number of the kids in this movie are just gone. So I'm just like, if yep. they were to bring them back. Which I'll, I'll say like this. Years in a years in time difference, they're going to have some problems. <laughs> there is, uh, for, this is like a, there's a lot of like Monster House-esque sort of like, you know, this is kind of between Trick or Treat and Monster House in that way. But like, uh, there is like a little bit of like, this is a kid's movie energy to this, but there is a harshness to it that pushes it a little bit. And that is like, you know, you'd expect, and I expected, I think the first time I saw this movie that like, okay, they'll beat her and then all the kids will be fine. Uh, but that doesn't happen. Like they're still gone at the end of the movie. Everybody who died or disappeared or whatever is still, they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. The bully's still the fucking scarecrow carcass, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I like how they yeah. say they're going to go look for the friend. Not not Billy, though. Fuck that guy. Whatever happened to him, he uh, deserved it. The sheriff, too. They didn't bother. <laughs> right. Yeah, nobody cares oh. about him. <laughs> Shout out Gil Bellows, man. The the sheriff, Gil, Gil Bellows. Like, he's uh he's been in a couple things. I think he was in another... I was... Uh, he was in another Considering how low-key... I was pretty pretty impressed with how low-key the cast was. They They didn't draw a lot of attention to themselves. You know, like, it was pretty serviceable for 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 kid actors you know yeah like yeah. dean norris is in there i don't even think i mentioned him in the summary but he's kind of like a single father to the main character their mother i think died and he's like trying his best but he's also a little bit of a drunk <laughs> yeah that that beep that yeah. beast story worked really well for me um it just occurred to me gil bellows the reason he'll be coming up again is he's in shawshank redemption so uh when we do zach's shawshank redemption he's gonna be in that oh, interesting Interesting. Oh, that's the guy who plays the young inmate. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always get excited <laughs> when I see Gil Bellows show up and stuff. I don't know why. Anyway. That's funny. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I guess we could uh, get to our final thoughts and get to voting and handle uh, all the business we need to handle. Um, so I'll go ahead and start with my final thoughts. I, I pretty much summed it up here, but I, I, when it comes to scary movies that are geared more to you know, more of the teenager stuff, because I am under the impression that most horror movies are geared to younger audiences. They're whether or not they want to admit them. Young people love scary movies. They, they, I know I did when I was a kid and I didn't care how gory or scary it was. I was a big fan of them. Um, so, and considering this particular source material is so apparently beloved by people my age and stuff. And I certainly remember them. Um, I thought that, the the re, the reaction the the I mean it did okay on the box office it did okay critically um, considering that it could have been so badly so I I think that my movie opinion my opinion of the movie is kind of like Nixon <laughs> this shroud of this movie's gonna suck and then thankfully it didn't um, unlike Nixon um, so like it it I, I think for what it's worth okay but probably only okay. You know, I, I, it would be hard for me to, to say I'd whether I'd watch it again or not. Um, I'd recommend it. Like, if you're a fan of the books, you know, you'd probably enjoy it. But even if you, you don't really need the books, 
you know, I like Mike said, my memory of these books is very, very uh, uh, many drunken and drug filled nights away away. So like I my memory of these is totally shot. Um, so you don't really need it. But if you do have an affinity for them, I do think you'll be pleasantly surprised that they don't try to just lift straight from the books and try to jumble a story around it. They kind of kept to a story and kind of injected the books in for the menace when they could, rather than just trying to keep that as their spinal cord and then they just fill in the blanks with with regular plot, which they could have done, um, and, and they didn't. So that being said, uh, probably not my favorite, but... You know, I've seen worse, and it could have been a lot worse. So I'll stick with that. Uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, like if you're a, if you have kids of a very particular age, um, where you need something with a little bit of teeth but not too many, it's a good choice. I I want to push, but like I think the thing about horror being for kids, I think that's true historically, like our teenagers more specifically. Maybe uh, I think in recent years, the past decade and in many cases that's stop that's not necessarily the case as much uh, i mean the insidious movies or the sinister ones and all that shit is still for kids but like, annabelle kids love those annabelle but like movies. nowadays you get pretty regularly like an ari aster or david eggers or like uh or 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 uh even to some degree jordan peele though i think that has more crossover like I think you have more thoughtful horror movies nowadays than you did in the eighties or nineties. Uh, and a lot of them are either slow or slow builds or slow burns, or even like the Babadook things it follows. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that these are even to some degree X has more on its mind than a movie, a horror movie in the eighties would. Um, yeah. these are all coming so out I, from like one specific production company too. Like, I think these are all eight twenty four movies is what you're talking about. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. I mean, not the Babadook and not like it follows, but um, they do have a twenty four does do a, a lot of these kind of things. Um, but yeah, I do think it's becoming more common that like horror is about more than just scares and kills, and I think it's about like stuff that kids don't relate to or understand more often than it used to be. But um, uh, at the same time. Um, yeah, uh, and and I don't know. I think a lot of those movies would be very slow for teenagers, um, but they're too cerebral. Yeah, know? exactly. Like the, a lot of those movies yeah. are that you mentioned are like a lot more cerebral than than some of them have any right to be, in my opinion. Yeah, like X, I, 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 I don't think that no. Midsummer is like something a kid's gonna tuck into. Mm -hmm. Like the uh, the it, the scariest part of that movie is definitely the toxic relationship not the location yeah, yeah. Well, or the, or hereditary you know, for that matter yeah where it's the family dynamic even is hereditary has yeah. even hereditary has a little bit more of the the heebie-jeebies than, than mid yeah but the, martin the, scorsese you know. goodfellas still has scenes where guys get shot you know what i mean but that doesn't mean it's for kids yeah no what, what i mean is that like Hereditary, I think, is more of a classic horror movie than Midsummer is. Midsummer's yeah. if you told a kid this is a scary movie and showed them Midsummer, they're gonna come out of you like, "What the hell was that? Uh, that wasn't very scary." Yeah. Um, and maybe because, yeah, the sense of dread that the movie is trying to impose on you is gonna go right over their head. Whereas a movie like Hereditary still has like the creepy witch ghosty stuff. Um, yeah. So like that 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 still kind of tracks. But I still think that even today, kids still like you know Haunting in Connecticut. They still love all those fucking exorcists. Sure, there's plenty of there's plenty of yeah. that side of it too. Anyway, yeah. this is not as intense as like an insidious or a sinister, but it's more intense than like a hocus pocus or a monster house. So for mm -hmm. an exact age, you could do worse than this for like a bit of Halloween fair for like a tween ish. Yeah, for sure. Kid. Yeah, um, I would agree uh, with pretty much all of that. I think that it's definitely something that would play well for a 13 or 14 year old, where you don't want to put on something like trick-or-treat where there are boobs and things like that <laughs> but at the same time you don't want to sit through something like monster house it's nice that it has a little bit of teeth um and heck it might even have something there to get grandpa screaming in the back because of nixon or something like that which is fine <laughs> um he's a great man <laughs> oh god uh, just starts playing southern sun or whatever that was That's uh, right. <laughs> uh anyway so I uh, enjoy this movie more than I thought I would, and I completely forgot most of it 
when I suggested it again. I, I remembered a lot of the B stories. I forgot a lot of it watching too. it. Yeah, so it's one of those things where I don't have clear memories of it when I'm not watching it. And I assume a couple years will go by and I'll probably remember it being a little better than it was and then watching it again and being like, nope, there, it's still just okay. Um, so yeah, I would suggest this one's fine for Halloween if you're just trying to watch something that's going to be cool going or cool and easy going at a party because uh, you can also throw it on in the background. There's nothing going to be that horrifying that anyone will actually want to stop what they're doing, but it'll be spooky. And there's the horror scenes are pretty self-contained because it's a different monster each time. So yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree with uh, everything that everybody said. So yeah, I worth the time, but yeah, you could do better, uh, but you could do worse. <laughs> um, so uh, with that in mind, we are down to the voting of our Halloween theme. So let me give you a quick rundown of the points for you two, at least. Uh, Boref, you now have 12 points for final voting because you got a point uh, from Zach about the political subtext around 2019 when this movie was made. And Boref, you got a point from Zach Powers about, to, oh no, you got a point from Zach about the political subtext. And then Zach, you got a point about the whole Tolkien thing. Uh, so you have 14 points for final voting. And I have 11 points for final voting. So. Uh, go ahead and do your calculus as you will, and let me know when you are ready. Okay. Um, okay, I am done, and I don't have any little doodles this time, but... Okay. We've been talking about art so much now, Borif. You're letting us down, man. You can't try to recreate some of those iconic Fine. covers. Yeah, uh, I'm just... good. Uh, I, I'm, I think I'm as good as I'm going to get for this. Oh, okay. Yeah, make it. <laughs> All righty, Chris. So what do you, you got for Steven Spielbergo's Monster House? Monster House can go number two itself. Okay. <laughs> uh, I gave Monster House a number two as well. Uh, I gave Monster House a, a trace. Three. Alrighty, so that is a mighty seven for Monster House. So, next up is Zach's pick of Trick or Treat. Chris Borf, what have you got? I'm going to give it a six, because I think it was pretty good. Okay, I think I know where this is going, because I, too, gave Trick or Treat a six. And if Zach could be so kind. I, I almost wish I gave it a six, but okay. I gave it a seven. <laughs> you had so many points to deal with. You know, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that pretty much seals the deal, but we'll get through the final voting here. That puts uh, uh, Trick or Treat at 19 points. Uh, so, Chris Borf, what have you got? Scary stories to tell in the dark. I gave scary stories to tell in the dark a four for okay quality entertainment sure uh yeah i gave stories to tell in the dark a three mainly just because that's all the points i could give it i would probably give it another more if i did but i thought trick or treat was pretty much a home run i gave it a four if i go back in time you know what i give this a five and trick or treat a six and give the six 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 i was uh, kind of on the fence you know yeah it's i mean still i still, I still got wins. a point oh. i can give you to make it be a <laughs> that one you'd have to take the point away from it doesn't solve the problem well, um, we're not doing a recount okay we're, this is over it would have the same over. winner either way that's right uh, yeah. okay we're so, not uh, accepting absentee ballots um that's okay that. so uh congratulations zach you have won the halloween theme with trick-or-treat so uh real quick before we get to our christmas episode what do you want to announce your bonus movie or do you want to withhold well, I it i think I, I was thinking about it today and i kind of decided on the fly uh i was thinking i was making my little cards and writing the names of the movies and i was like trick or treat with the big old r in the middle you know what I uh, want to watch another movie with some R's in it. How about R, 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 R? R. Nice. Cool. <laughs> you know, I've been meaning to see that because I've heard, I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah, um, let's clean the Indian sort of Bollywood thing. We haven't done that before. I think so it will be. We're watching the movie R. R, R, R. Okay. Have you not heard R. of R, R, R? 
I think I have heard of it. I don't think I've seen it. Is this the one? It's with an the Indian movie. Action-packed. Uh, yeah, it's an Indian I've seen film. Gifts of it, I think. Okay, it's a it was a it big grave. Last year, this I think. year, didn't it? It's Last on year? Netflix oh, okay. or something already. It's streaming already. Um, it's free. It shouldn't be a trouble. Any trouble to find it? Um, okay. Yeah. Is R R R three R's is the name of the movie. Okay. Uh, it, it's not a horror movie though, right? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Um, yeah, it's your bonus movie. You could do Halloween's you want. Halloween's long over. Mm-hmm. When we're recording this, that's so right. That's right. Dispense. That's right. <laughs> I That's mean, we've right. been a little oh. loosey-goosey with the time period. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. But it's we're going to do Christmas now, right? That's we are right. We're going to straight to Christmas. That's right. Uh, so we have... Uh, so Zach, why don't you just run through our Christmas, how we're okay, going so to do this so we're going to do this event. the same way we do it every year. We uh, each select two possible Christmas movies to watch, and then we will roll a six-sided die in the spirit of Christmas um, <laughs> to... Craps. Uh, to uh, figure out which one we're going to watch. Uh, the first two choices are Chris's picks. The second two are Russell's picks. And the third, uh, the last two are my picks. Um, so we have six on the docket this time. Uh, if it comes up a number one, we are going to be watching Black Christmas 1974. Number two, Die Hard uh, from 1988. Number three will be Jingle All the Way. Uh, number four will be Elf. <laughs> Number five will be 2019's Little Women. Number six, 1974's Black Christmas yet again. We're going to get it this time, boys. Uh, You even have the one where you could force us to watch it. We're going to find out. So are you ready for the big roll? (laughs) Let's do it. One, two, three. Elf. Elf (laughs) Elf is the victor. Hey, considering the other choice, you guys got off easy. I mean, I haven't seen Elf, so yeah. You haven't? Uh, oh, wow. Okay, huh. I've seen bits oh, of it. It's, it's one of those ones where it's okay. always on TV, but I've never actually sure. seen the whole thing. It's just been background okay. noise, and it's going to become the whole show, so we'll all give it a shot. All right. Black yeah. Christmas yeah. hates us for another <laughs> fucking year. If Russell had made his second choice Black Christmas... We, we wouldn't We'd be, be watching to... Jingle All the Way, buddy. You know that's what would happen. We'd be watching Jingle All the Way. If I had chose Black Little Christmas, woman. it would have totally gone to Jingle All the Way. Even Little Women, I'd be like, okay, at least, whoo, dodged a bullet there. I kind of added that poison pill of Jingle All the Way with Sinbad and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So. I, uh, I, no, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't seen yeah. it. Uh, I'm glad that we're doing that and not Die Hard. I've seen Die Hard too many times. It's a great movie, but too many times. Let's see what else it's about. I haven't seen it. I Let's see what it's about. Interesting. Alrighty. Well, um, join us next time for the holiday magic uh, that is Elf. Uh, and we'll be watching that movie. This is just our fun sort of Christmas gift to all of you or whatever holiday you choose to uh, celebrate yep. during There's the There's no bonus. Winter There's no nothing. It's just us yeah, talking it's about just, a movie. just us doing it for fun, much like we do all the time. Um, so with that in mind, fellas, it's been a ball and uh, we will see you next time. I have been Russell Carlson and I have been joined by Chris Bora. Take it easy, everybody. I can't remember anything from the movie. <laughs> and I've also been joined by Zach Powers. Uh, the true scary story is the Richard Nixon administration. <laughs> <laughs> the spookiest monster of them all. <laughs> Alrighty, and as we always say here in the movie trap, Diane Ladd is too young to play Chevy Chase's mom. Meet I don't you, Walker. Are you shitting me?